The more I've come to learn about God, the more I realize that our puny attempt at language to capture him is at best half-baked. Sometimes truth goes beyond the boundaries of what propositional statements can contain. And the only thing that we are left with is pictures and images and metaphors that that give us a glimpse of something that goes so beyond what our minds can contain. This is the heart and soul of what Revelation 4 and 5 is all about. It's one thing to say that Jesus is strong and mighty. It's a far other thing to say that he stands in the midst of a throne surrounded with jasper and ruby and emerald light from which rumbles thunder and comes peals of lightning and monstrous creatures surround him and bow before him because sometimes a statement is simply not enough. Sometimes the only thing that we can do to come close to grasping the complete majesty and power of who the risen Christ is is these glimpses of pictures and images and metaphors. Because when it comes to Christ's propositional statement and words are not enough to contain him. And if you didn't hear me already, hear it again. This is what Revelation 4 and 5 is all about. And there standing at the heartbeat center of it all is the lamb who was slain. I don't know if you picked it up as we were reading through the story, but everything in Revelation 4 and 5 finds its spatial reference from the anchor point of Christ, meaning everything in creation that it describes finds its meaning and its being from that which is at the center. Did you pick up on this? Let me show you. Revelation 4 and 5 gives us a picture of the throne room of heaven. This glimpse where you just stand with, 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 with mouth dropped open, going, there is something bigger than what meets the eye. And if you read the story of Revelation 4 and 5, you begin to see how everything finds its, its, its center around this, this nucleus of, 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 of the throne. And the one standing there and the lamb who is slain on the throne is one seated and, and he has the appearance of Jasper and Ruby. Now, now go with me on these guys because, you know, whenever I used to read these, it would always kind of strike me as weird. I would start seeing like K commercial, K, K jewelry commercials in my mind. You, you know, and it's like, okay, so he's wearing like some rings. This isn't the image of what's going on. Imagine, imagine light shining through the clearest ruby that you've ever seen. Imagine that size being equivalent to the sun. And you start to get a picture of the dazzling light that is emanating from the one who is on the throne. And encircling the throne is a rainbow, like a halo or like, like an arc. And it's circling it and, it and it shimmers like emerald, green and dazzling light. And, and surrounding the throne, it says that there's 24 other thrones and on them are, are 24 elders, and they're dressed in white, and they've got golden crowns on their head, and, and they're arrayed in majesty. And, and it says that from the throne is, is, is coming lightning and, and roars and, and, and the sounds of, of thunder. And, and it says that before 
the throne are, are seven lamps of burning fire. Again, you can't think of a lamp like Little House on the Prairie, let's light a paw and go to bed, all right? I mean, you've got to see like blazing torches of light. You've got to see, 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 see basins the size of this room blazing in inferno before the throne of God in a sea of glass as clear as crystal. And then it says that it's getting closer, near the center, but still around the throne. There's these four, like, like the, the, they're just weird. The, these four monstrous creatures. One, it says, it just, it, it, they're terrifying. One looks like a lion, and another looks like an ox, and another looks like an eagle, and another looks like a man. And they've got wings, and they've got eyes front and back and all around. And, and they're there, pressed in around the throne. And day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And are you starting to see that that as the story is woven, everything finds its relation to the focal point of the throne. And there, standing in the center, standing in the center of the throne is a lamb who was slain. And he alone, above all others in creation, is able to come and approach that throne and stand there in the midst. That is what Revelation 4 and 5 is all about. A picture of what is going on right now. And we get this feeble glimpse that that, that only metaphor and picture come close to even capturing of the might and power and glory of who the risen Christ is, and all creation finding their sense of being with him at the center. And that fundamentally is what what Revelation is all about. The fundamental question of Revelation is this. Guys, I need to ask you. When it comes to your life, what's at the center? What's at the center? Now, there's another description that I want to show you. It says that encircling the Lamb now, who's standing there at the throne, thousands upon thousands of angels are worshiping. I love how it put it. Did you catch it? A thousand times a thousand and ten thousand times ten thousands. It's a lot, right? And there encircling the Lamb are, 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 are billions of angels And it goes on to say, in people from every tribe and language and nation. And they're worshiping the one who is on the throne. Because really, it's just another way of putting the question that I asked earlier. When I asked the question, what is at your center? It's actually an identical question to what is it that you worship. Now, I'm not talking about singing songs. Anyone can sing songs, all right? But look at what the angels are saying. They cry out, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. Read this with me. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Any chump can sing songs, but real worship is this. It's to ascribe your power and your wealth and your wisdom, and your strength, and your honor, and your glory, and your praise. To whomever you 
give that. That is the one whom you worship. That is who is at your center. And the question of revelation again is this. Fellowship of faith. Who is at your center? Who is it that you worship? Who is it from whom you derive your sense of being? Who is it that you give your power to and your wealth to? Who is it that you give your wisdom to and and spend your strength for? Who is it that you give your honor to and your glory to and your praise? Because that right there, the answer to that question is your answer. Now, Revelation's weird, right? You tried reading it? Anyone? If you've tried reading Revelation in your life, just give me a show here. Yeah. Have you ever gotten like nine verses in and you're just like, uh, what? You ever have that moment in reading Revelation? So many people get hung up on the symbols of Revelation and what is going on. It may be the weirdest book and the New Testament. But ironically, guys, it gives the clearest picture of who Jesus really is. Why? Because remember, the risen Christ is too big for words to contain. To come and see who the risen Christ truly is, the closest we can get this side of eternity, this side of seeing that up close and personal, are these images and symbols and metaphors that that hold something that goes so much bigger than what words can hold in and of themselves. Now, when it comes to the imagery of Revelation, it is absolutely steeped in Jewish theology. The theology of, uh, of Revelation is Jewish through and through. The Old Testament, of course, but also that time between the Testaments that no one ever talks about, right? It's steeped in all that kind of stuff as well. But, but it's layered with something else. Because on top of all this Jewish imagery, there is another layer of imagery that John, the disciple who wrote this book, who saw this vision and penned it for us, layers on top of it as well. And that imagery is Roman. And that imagery isn't just Roman. That imagery comes from the Roman imperial cult. Because see, in the time that John wrote, he found himself on an island. It was this godforsaken place called Patmos. And he was there because he would not declare, Caesar is Lord. Because Rome was an empire, and they weren't about to lose it. And center to the empire, like any good empire, was this mythic idea that somehow they were chosen. Somehow they had divine right. Somehow they were picked to bring the glories of Rome to the end of the earth. And there, at the center of the empire, and the center of the myth was a figurehead. And that figurehead was the emperor. It was Caesar. And there around this man who sat on a throne was an image and a myth of something that was so much bigger than himself to which every Roman citizen was was called to pay homage. And what, what John is doing here in Revelation 4 and 5 is basically this. He's taking that imagery and he's hijacking it. He's hijacking it and subverting it and using it to his own purposes 
in order to ask those people to whom he writes, who is on your throne? Which means that when we go through the imagery of Revelation, and especially Revelation 4 and 5, it is dripping with pop culture reference to a first century Roman living in the empire. Now I'm going to show you some of this here in just a moment. Now, to begin with, Every Roman had to declare, Caesar is Lord. They didn't care what gods you worshipped, as long as among them you would also include Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord, because Caesar is also divine. For those of you who know your New Testament, it may bring to mind something that Paul says when he says, any of you who says Jesus is Lord, is this just theological statement, or is it laced with something else? Are you following my meaning? Now, this idea of Caesar as being divine, it goes back to Julius Caesar. Uh, Suetonius, one of the, the first century early Roman orators, would write that, that Julius Caesar even took honors upon himself that no mortal man should ever take. He allowed people to sing his accolades and to, to elevate him. He allowed shrines to be set up through the kingdom. He allowed people to even come and begin calling him divine. And on his death, it was sealed. They said that a comet appeared. It was a sign that the gods took Julius Caesar and he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the gods. Is this sounding familiar? And from there he would reign. And the myth was born. He was called a savior and every Caesar to follow. A deliverer. A son of God. Someone who came to usher in a new age. The proclamation of this message throughout the Roman Empire, catch this, it was called the gospel. You would spread the good news that the new age has come and Rome is mighty to save. And as a good person living in that empire in those days, do you know what you were called to give in return? Faith. Trust. Fidelity. Loyalty to the one who sat on the throne. And it's into this matrix that John asks the question, who do you worship? Who is seated on your throne? From whom do you derive the essence of your being. To whom do you ascribe all power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise? And you can read through Revelation 4 and 5, and he hijacks this imagery, and he twists it to his own purpose. Let me show you what I mean. In the Roman cult, there was something known as the Basileum. You could see this in Roman artwork and the bas-reliefs and all that kind of stuff, where you'll see a throne shared by two. Caesar, and some kind of personification of the Roman Empire, some kind of god or goddess. Two would be on the throne, and what does John write? And I saw a throne and one who was seated on it. He looked like Jasper and Ruby, and yet there was another who was standing there in the middle of the throne. What is John doing? Caesar would often be portrayed with, with thunder and lightning and rainbows. It was said that, that Domitian at the time of, of John when he's writing this went so far as to insist that every human being address him, not as Caesar, but as my Lord and my God. 
He even made his wife do that, which, of course, guys, it makes us like him already, right? He went around the empire, and he took the heads off the Greek gods and goddesses, you know, the statues, and he replaced them with golden heads cast in his own image. It's like first century Photoshop happening right before your eyes. Caesar would often be compared to Zeus or Jupiter, as you would call him in the Roman pantheon. And come on, we, got, we know who Zeus is, right? Well, he's Thor, that's easy, right? The god of thunder, the god of lightning, the god of the storm. And what do we see coming from the throne of the Lamb? Thunder and lightning. Caesar always had torchbearers before him, shining forth the light of the Roman Empire. And what stands before the throne? Caesar always had 24 lictors, personal attendants and bodyguards, cheerleaders, lieutenants, and with them male choirs who never stopped singing hymns to his praises. And they were dressed in white and wore laurel wreath crowns. And when the kings of the empire would come, they would pay homage by taking their crowns and laying them before him. And the ancient historians write that day and night there would be thunderous applause, people prostrating themselves before him, singing his praises in a never-ending litany. They would play harps and pour incense from golden bowls. Did you know that the lion is a symbol of Caesar? And the only time that Jesus is called a lion in the entire Bible is right here. In Revelation 4 and 5, you catching it? The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. And this is the best. There's this artwork of Domitian. And he's there all kind of like majestic and he's holding a scroll in his hand. And historians think that what the scroll is meant to symbolize is his divine right to rule over all things recorded and to be recorded and human history. And John looks, and he sees a lamb who was slain, who alone is worthy to to approach the throne and take the scroll and read its seven seals. Guys, do you see what John is doing? Do you see what he's doing? He is asking the question, who's on your throne? Who is at your center? And guys, it is not just a metaphysical question. You know, it's not just like, okay, this is a cool mental exercise here for today. You know what I mean? Hmm, who is on my throne? That was fascinating. No, it's something so much deeper than that. Because here's the reality. You and I, each of us in this room, we have a Rome. Each of us has a Rome that is vying for the center and vying for the throne. Each of us has that thing, right? The thing that's looking to be the center of who we are that defines our being, that's trying to seduce us and allure us because it looks so good. Or that is trying to intimidate us and scare us so that we don't dare substitute it with something else. Putting terror into us that we will no longer be Without that at the center, each of us here has a Rome, 
And John asks you this. Who's it going to be? Who is it going to be to whom you ascribe all power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise? Is it going to be Rome and these puppet kings, these midget imitation ripoffs of the one who is seated in heaven? Or is it going to be the lamb who was slain, whose glory is bigger than words can contain, whose honor and power and might goes beyond anything in human imagination? FOF. That is week 15 of your story. It is what Revelation 4 and 5 is all about. That of all the things vying for the center in this world, there is one who is king of kings and lord of lords and is above it all. There is a lamb who was slain that is bigger than anything that we can even drink. Right now, as I speak and as you sit there, there are people that know that because they are seeing it firsthand. Right now as I speak, Revelation says that there is something going on in heaven on the other side behind the veil. There is something going on where billions upon billions with a sound that can only be compared to thunder and roars are worshiping the lamb who was slain. And we get the chance to partner with them. I'm going to invite the band to come back forward. We're going to sing one more song with the angels of heaven here today. And as we do, I want you to ask yourself, to whom will you give your power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise? Right now as I speak, they're shouting out forevermore, Remember the slide? Let me show it to you again so you burn it in your brain. Worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Can you say that with me? Worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Would you agree that repetition is the mother of learning? Even if you don't, we're going to do it again. Say it with me. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. There is one who is worthy. Who is it? And he's going to receive something, right? I want to invite you to get to your feet. If I make that disappear, do you think you could do it? I want you to say it again with me today. I want you to repeat after me. 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Yeah, it's tricky there, ain't it? There's seven of them, and there are no commas. You got to and it between each one, all right? Power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise with me. Power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Power and wealth. Stage right. That's you. Power and wealth and wisdom and strength. Beat them. Crush them. Right. I feel like I'm watching a boxing match between two third graders, kind of, you know, like this. Power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Last time, stage left. FOF. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise.